Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody today. Greet them and then be seated. Amen. Amen. Once again, hello to everyone here, to our guests and uh, to our regular attenders and to all the folks out here tuning in. Some will view much later than others. And so this broadcast continues uh, to do what God would have and praise God for that. that we, we get good reports back on what the Lord is doing. May I take just a moment to thank you again in behalf of my sweet wife. This is First Lady Gwendolyn over here. And uh, we've had 51 wonderful years of marriage. We highly recommend the relationship, the institution of godly marriage. And uh, we, we've been uh, praising the Lord, but we've seen a lot of things happen in that time. And we've had some loved ones that have started going home. And we haven't lost them because when you know where people are, they're not lost. All right? They've gone home. They've gone to glory. They've gone to Beulah land. And uh, there was uh, Gwendolyn's mom, Arliss. She, she sat over here and over here in the services when she stayed with us for extended periods of time. And many of you loved her, knew her, and loved her. And she went to be with Jesus. And since that time, we've got a lot of comments, a lot of responses. So kind of you to extend your love and sympathy to us. Cards and, and uh, letters and texts and emails and words of, of comfort. Thank you so much. But also some folks have given, not to us personally, but to Beams. Beams produces the Bibles that are in front of you in the, in the pew. Uh, we have sent thousands and thousands of these Bibles to third world countries. $8 is a donation that will send one of these, either in English, as you have before you there, or in the language uh, and the translation, of course, that's closest to our King James. Uh, and it's gone around the world. And I, I shared a couple of those letters with you this week uh, of folks that have received Bibles, and they've got their Bibles all marked up in a good way, in a positive way. You know, you should mark your Bible up in a good and positive way. And these kids out in the Philippines, trying to remember where that was, but it was, it was somewhere way out in the boondocks, right? And, and uh, they are in the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But thank you for giving Bibles in honor and in memory of Gwendolyn's mom. Thank you so much. Many of you have also mentioned to me your love and sympathy and condolences on the passing of my sister. Just right after we got back from Minnesota, uh, my sister had her first chemo treatment for pancreatic cancer. She had a large mass in her abdomen, and uh, she, she was being treated for seven other serious conditions. She had MS, multiple sclerosis, for 40 years, and still went to the ladies' prison and ministered all that time. She would shuffle a little bit. She was a little bit crippled. She didn't let it stop her. But pancreatic cancer was God's vehicle to take her home. After one treatment and a few days of trying to recover, she went home mercifully to be with Jesus. And I miss my sis, but I, I, I tell you what, I've, I've had a couple of tears and some crying jags, but I want you to know we have perfect calm about where our loved ones are. And thank you for those of you who understand that and have expressed your sympathy and your love. We're going to be receiving an offering uh, in the latter part of this year, beginning of next year, as we do annually, and we'll send a thousand or more Bibles to the third world, and uh, we're glad for that. But right now, anytime you have a loved one who passes, and I know 
Many of you have. We have a prayer sheet here. And the bereavements have never been as long as we have here. We've got a lot of bereavements. So all of those names. We express our love and sympathy. And if you would like to do something in a meaningful way, uh, you can give money to Beams. And every penny of that will send Bibles overseas to people in third world situations. All right. Today, uh, when we receive our offering, in addition to our regular tithes and offerings, you've got an offering envelope for that. But there is a red envelope, a white envelope with red writing on it. it says love offering. You can make that out to Project 9, Central Baptist, but Project 9 on the memo line. Project 9 is putting a roof on a church, a little church to the south of us in North Carolina near the military base in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Am I right on that? Is that where it is? Down that area? Uh, there's a church down there, and they've lost their roof, and we're going to, by the grace of God, we're going to put a roof on that building and let them go on for God. So, amen. Others, Lord, others, let this my motto be, Lord, let me live for others that they may see Jesus in me. Amen. 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 Let's do that. Absolutely. Let's do that. All right. There are a lot of other things we could share with you today, but I want us to get into the Word of God. Our theme has been uh, this theme on the front of your bulletin. To be undecided means to be lost. We've got a picture there of Elijah calling down fire. We're going to talk about that and the Scripture that's there on the front of the bulletin. I believe in old-time preaching. I said to a preacher friend this morning, light a fire in the pulpit, they'll come back later to see if it's still burning. And today we hope to light a spiritual fire. Come on now. We hope to make a difference. I don't want to put you to sleep. If I start putting you to sleep, all right, here's what you do. Just say amen about twice as much and that'll fire me up and it'll keep you awake and it'll be good for everybody. All right, so you know the account in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 18 of the contest on Mount Carmel between the prophet Elijah and the false prophets, Jezebel's false prophets of Baal. Baal was a local deity and each locale claimed Baal and they would hyphenate it. So it was Baal whatever the city was. Baal whatever the little village was. They had their own local Baal. Baal was a false god of agriculture and other things as well but the grossest kind of carnal worship that you can imagine, if you can call it that, made to Baal. He was the enemy of the true God, Jehovah, in the Bible. Uh, when Jezebel came to the throne marrying Ahab, uh, they were in the northern kingdom, she brought with her all that idolatry and just absolutely made a bad situation worse. And sometimes uh, when the devil is in control, you don't think it's going to get any worse. But let me tell you what's worse. What's worse than King Jezebel is, uh, King Ahab is, is Queen Jezebel with him. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel made up a nefarious and wicked couple as they led the northern ten tribes of Israel. And Elijah approached them and and this is the contest. He preached and he, and he taught and uh, <clears throat> he, he prophesied and he prayed down fire. The false prophets had failed to do that. And in the end, 
God wins and Baal loses and the false prophets die and Jezebel goes on a rampage and Elijah retreats and God providentially protects and renews him. And we've got all of that. But I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings and chapter 18. I just want you to see the challenge that's given by Elijah in this contest. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21, 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came unto all the people. He was addressing the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered him, Not a word. I don't know all of the details, but I know from what I can see in the Scripture that there is a clear decision to be made. You have opposing, competing deities. You've got the one true God, Jehovah, and you've got the false deity, Baal. A choice needs to be made. But the people then were like people are today, perhaps, uh, and if they didn't feel any uh, compulsion whatsoever to respond, they would not respond. Nobody has forced them to respond. One famous evangelist said this, Mr. Average Man is comfortable in his complacency and as unconcerned as a silverfish in constant a carton of discarded magazines on world affairs. Man is not asking any questions because his social benefits from the government give him a false security. Come on, give me an amen on that one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Not the government is my shepherd. Amen. All right. This is his trouble and his tragedy, the evangelist says. Modern man has become a spectator of world events. And isn't that the way it is? We're like a... We're like a like a ping-pong ball in a match going back and forth. And who's going to play us today? Uh, what, what, uh, what news outlet is going to tell us a story that's going to pull us one way or another? I wonder how many Christians, how many born-again believers even, are truly led of the Spirit instead of all the other earthly forces that come to bear upon us. So here we have uh, the man described... Modern man has become a spectator of world events, observing on his television screen without becoming involved. So he's kind of a third party and observer. He watches the ominous events of our times pass before his eyes while he sips his beer in a comfortable chair. He does not seem to realize what is happening to him. He does not understand that his world is on fire and that he is about to be burned with it. Now, I didn't say it. Blame the evangelist. He said it. But I agree. I say amen. You know, there are a lot of people who have taken on the role of spectator, and that's where it all stops. As a result of that, they don't take anything personally. The events that are occurring in the world around him or even in his neighborhood do not affect him because he has just decided that's his mindset, that's his methodology, and he is not going to get bothered by anything. But whether it's that man in front of the television set, or whether it's you, my friend, or whether it's you who are here, I don't know, but I, I believe this, that we ought to be concerned 
about something as important as the destiny of our immortal soul. Everybody who is viewing, everybody in the sound of my voice, everybody who will hear this message repeated, every one of us is constructed in the image of God. Come on, amen. Doesn't matter what color you are, where you're from, what your background is, what your origin is, what you've done, we are all created in the image of God. And as such, Paul outlines it this way. He breaks it down, dissects us. He says, I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. I am tripartite. I'm a little trinity. The greatest proof that God is triune, that He is a trinity, is His creation. We've been created in His image. We are tripartite as well. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, I know you have a body. I'm looking at your body right now. You're looking at my body. Because of my body and my vocal cords, I'm able to express. I'm able to be understood. You're able to receive it. You're able to perceive and and, uh, uh, understand what I'm saying. That's because of the body. Now, it needs to go a little deeper than that. Not in one ear and out the other. It needs to go in and it needs to find a place to lodge. That is where we come to the spirit and the soul. The spirit is that part which is most important because it makes us God conscious. The spirit is the real you, the real me. My spirit is going to live or exist forever somewhere. If I'm saved and I have received Christ as my Savior, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's my spirit, you see. And uh, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you die without Christ, you're going to split hell wide open like a rock through a spider web. You're going to burn forever. We're trying to keep you from doing that. But you're going to exist forever in hellfire if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, what part is the soul? When we're talking about three parts, and the Bible uses that designation, spirit, soul, and body, the soul is the personality. And so I see the personality outwardly in your body as you express yourself, your emotions and so forth. That's your soul. Your spirit is the part that's conscious of God, and God can communicate with you. So that's who we are. That's how we're put together. Every single person's put together that way. But if you were to go door to door and ask a hundred people that question, they wouldn't all get the answer right. Most of them would get the answer wrong. They'd say, well, I'm, you know, I, I feel what I feel, and I like what I like, and I do what I do, and when I'm dead, I'll die like a dog in the dust, and that'll be it. No, it won't. Their trouble will really accelerate at that point. And the solution is on this side of the grave. The solution is here and now. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He is still the answer. The Holy Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, still strives with men's and women's hearts, still tries to draw them in conviction to their need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I'm an arbitrary way. You got a choice, there are two, three doors. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What I'm saying to you today is this. Without Jesus, you won't make heaven. You say, I want to be the best person I can be. You try all you want to, and you go straight to hell without Jesus Christ. Say, well, I'll accept Jesus Christ, and then I'll try really, really hard so I can keep my salvation. You can't do that either because He's the one who keeps us. He's the one who has us in His hand and His protection. Now, that's a whole lot of doctrine in one big mouthful today. But I hope it's, it's all right. Is that okay? Is that all right? Come on, tell me it's all right. 
Say, that's all right, preacher. All right. Why did Elijah say, why or how long halt ye between two opinions? Follow God or follow Baal. Choose one or the other. And why did they say not a word? Because like the famous evangelist said, and as I am repeating now to you, he said, a lot of people have been lulled into a spiritual sleep. And it's a, very easy for us to become complacent. It's very easy for us to get, kind of get stuck in the crack between two sides and say, well, I don't have to take sides. I don't want to take sides. I don't want to make anybody mad. I want to be popular with everybody. So I'll be undecided. Undecided. I want you to take a look at what it says on the top of your bulletin. To be undecided means to be lost. That's putting it right down. To be undecided means to be lost. I'm going to bring a message out in the future on hard cases that have come to Christ. But let me just share with you a few examples because there are hundreds of them. I recall in California in our previous ministry, we had a fellow that would come around and every year he would make sure that all the fire extinguishers were updated, the tags were current, and the, the material inside the fire extinguisher was working properly. And So he came around kind of a fire safety guy. And what was really interesting, when you think about fire and putting out fire, this fellow was a Jehovah's Witness. They don't believe in hellfire. But uh, uh, he would come around and we would speak. Now, some people have adopted the position that when you encounter a member of the cults, that you're going to be just as, as uh, stiff and implacable as you can possibly be. And I'm telling you, you're making a mistake. That is not what Jesus Christ would do. Now, you don't have to invite them into your house and bid them Godspeed. But wherever you're meeting them, you can talk to them and you can treat them like the creature that they are that God created and the, the one that He desired so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die on a cross they don't even believe in. We can care enough about them to show some love and some compassion and some humanity toward them. Come on now. Don't treat them like they're some kind of strange uh, alien, some kind of... Uh, some kind of monster from outer space. That's not it at all. They're just a deceived person. That's all. They're on their way to a hell they don't even believe in. So this, this man and I got to know each other real well, so well. I remember one day the Lord sent a rainstorm in an unlikely time that kept us under an overhang for over an hour. And I gave the gospel to him. Aren't you glad that God arranges those kinds of meetings? His name was Mark. And I got all the way through. And I don't know how many, how many fishermen and fisher ladies do we have out here. Come on. When you get a big one on the line and it's tugging, and you start reeling it in. Start reeling, can you just feel it? Reeling it in, reeling it in, reeling it in. And I felt like I was pretty close, Ed, to getting him in. And then he did this. And he said... If ever I were to believe what you're saying and to receive Christ as you're saying, because they believe Christ is a created being, he said, I want it to be with you leading me to Christ. And I thought to myself, boy, isn't that just what the devil wants me to be satisfied with? And to think, wow, what a high compliment that is. Book of Proverbs says that flattery is a net that's, that's spread for the feet. Watch out. Watch out. That man 
was no closer to going to heaven because it's not gradually, it's not a process by which we're saved. We're either a saint or we ain't. You're either in or you're out, one or the other. I'm not saying that I wasn't working on him and by the power of the Holy Spirit trying to help him come to God, I was, but I should not be satisfied with something like that. If ever I were going to accept Christ, I'd want it to be with you. Don't even say that. That false flattery. Same thing, the atheist who became an agnostic, who became a believer in design because of the meetings that I had with him, not too many miles from here, moved to another city in the Midwest. I gave him, I gave him stacks of stuff, books and, and CDs and, and everything I could on Bible salvation. And he said the same thing. If ever I was going to believe, I'd want it to be with you. And, you know, and I, I, I said in my spirit, you know, I've been in this situation before. This is not you know, my first rodeo. I've been, I've been in this situation. That's what the devil wants you to think and be satisfied with. That person is impressed with your witness. Oh, isn't that great? I remember the woman who came to our services in our ministry out west years ago. When I was working with my father, we were working there in Southern California in the high desert. This lady would come several blocks and she would sit in the early service that we had and she would sit there, and, and I would ask her why she came. She was not a believer. She came, she came not because she believed it. She came because she was so convinced that I believed it. She wanted to listen to somebody that wasn't phony baloney. She was tired of all the television preachers and tired of all the phony baloney religionists, and she wanted to go hear somebody who, at least she was reasonably sure, believed what he was saying. And once again... There it is, you know. I'm coming to hear you because you believe it. Oh, I could be, I could be what? I could be self-inflated and miss the point. I can't be satisfied that she's just coming because she believes it. I'm glad she comes, but that's just the beginning. I'm glad to say she got saved and she got baptized. And praise the Lord, she became a member of that ministry. Praise the Lord for that. I want you to know that when you're presented the gospel and you're not quite decided you got one foot on the boat. It's about to sail. you got one foot on the pier. Now, you got to decide. Are you going to jump back on the pier or are you going to jump in the boat? That's pretty simple. Yeah, if you've ever fallen in the water, you know exactly what kind of experience that is. You're not on the pier or in the boat. You don't want... Listen, it's one or the other. It's that simple. It's that simple. They were stuck between two beliefs. And they were silent until after the contest. You read the whole thing when you get home today. You'll find out that those false prophets of Baal tried everything, humanly speaking, to work up some fire. Fire didn't come up or down. And then Elijah dismantled, rebuilt, poured water over it, and he cried out to God. And I want you to see this now, if you would, please. Let's go over a little bit further. Verse 37 of 1 Kings 18. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire fell of the Lord. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water 
that was in the trench. Now that's a visual. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. There you go. And they said, the Lord, He is the God. <laughs> the Lord, He is the God. Not just any God. He is the one and only exclusive God. There it is. I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. We have in our bulletin at the top of the right-hand side the words to the, the hymn. These are the lyrics to who is on the Lord's side. Who is on the Lord's side. And we've sung almost persuaded. I think about General Joshua back in Joshua 24 and verse 15. Joshua 24, turn with me there please. Joshua 24 and verse 15. A choice has to be made. And Joshua 24 and verse 15. Let's go back to verse 14. Joshua is addressing all of the people. He's about to leave this world. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt for and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that. We will serve the Lord. That's it. That's it. You have a decision and a choice to make, and it needs to be made very, very soon. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? On what are you going to depend? So I'm going to depend upon my own good works. Then you're going to have to reject the Bible, which stands 180 degrees contrary to your belief system, which is that you can somehow be good enough, and in the end God will like you enough to let you go into heaven. It doesn't work that way. There is no place in the Bible where there is a scale and your good works on one side, your bad works on the other, and if your good works outweigh your bad works, the Lord says, come on into heaven, and if your bad works outweigh your good works, He says, go on to hell. It doesn't work that way. You might hope that there is no hell, that it's just figurative, that it's just symbolic. And I recall one evangelist saying, well, if it is symbolic, it represents something far worse than what it says. And I kind of, you know, I got to agree with him. It's not symbolic. But uh, just think about that. What can be worse than burning forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever? You've got to decide. You've got to make a choice. Mr. Trumbull, who was a great soul winner, said this, If any delay occurs in the matter of deciding one's destiny, it's not caused by Jesus Christ. He will accept you right now. He will accept you immediately. He will accept you without delay. I love that. I love that. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. That's it. My brother was traveling the country, had a big bus that was made over into a home. They lived in it. He'd go from church to church to church. He'd been on the road for oh, almost nine, ten years. And at this point in time, uh, he was doing one of his favorite things at that time. He was going to a Morrison's Cafe. How many have ever been there? Say amen. Morrison's Cafe. All right. They're famous in the South. And uh, he was loading up his plate, and that was part of his problem. He had beefed up a little bit, and, uh, and his uh, 
body chemistry was out of balance and he was holding that tray and all of a sudden he, he just blacked out, fell down, tray went everywhere. And he's lying on the floor and there's this tremendous weight on his chest. And when he came to, opened his eyes and he said, where's the clock? And they said, what? He said, where's the clock? And they said, there's one over on the wall. He said, all right, all right I see the time. Why do you want to know where the clock is and why do you want to know what time it is? He says, I want to see how long it takes me to get to heaven. That was my brother. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Just a moment. That's it. It doesn't take the Lord long. Sometimes it takes us a long, long time. I remember a shoe salesman in my... my uh, church when I was growing up. My dad was the pastor. The shoe salesman's family came to church. Uh, his son and daughter were in our youth group, and I knew them well. His wife uh, worked in the church, but he never, he never came. Nice guy. Nice guy. Give you a great deal on a pair of shoes. Shoe salesman. They prayed for him and 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 prayed for him, and, for him. and one day there came a knock on my father's office door, and there he stood, and he asked him in, and he said, it's about time. It's about time. It had been 25 years they prayed for his salvation, but they didn't give up. They didn't give up. They didn't give up. It doesn't take the Lord any time to save, but it takes people a while to come around sometimes. Some of the Jehovah's Witnesses that Dave Weeks wins to, win, wins to Christ uh, take a couple of years. First, you've got to get a crack in their belief system. So they're now no longer trusting in their system, in the watchtower. And then they begin to search and to seek, and through the Word of God, they come to Christ. It's wonderful. The same Savior would have saved them way back yonder, but they were holding on to something else. If you've got something in your hand, some belief system, some religion, something that you're holding on to, then, then there's no hope for you until you let go. You've got to let the Lord have His way. You've got to allow Him to work in your heart and let Him be your Savior. He's ready to save you right now, but some folks are putting it off. I think about Nino out in California. I had witnessed to him many times. He had seen our quartet sing. He was always right there. He was always, always a, a happy guy and a, and a happy-go-lucky guy with a lot of tragedy in his life. And behind the smile were the tears. And, and uh, I remember going into his shop every day for four or five days and, and asking him to be saved. And the last day before my plane was about to leave, I got down on my knees on that dusty old floor, that wooden floor of that music shop that he owned there out west. And I said, please, don't go to hell. I'm begging you. He says, please get off your knees. I said, no, I'm begging you. I'm not getting off my knees. I know my plane is leaving, but I'm staying on my knees till you come to Christ. Finally, I felt a tear fall. He got down and received Jesus Christ as the Savior. And later on, he sent a note and said, my life has changed. That's what God does. Now, God would have saved him years before. The first time he heard me preach the gospel, the first time he heard my quartet sing, the first time we interacted, he would have gotten saved, but he wasn't ready to let go. There are people today that are not ready to let go. Let me tell you, you are doing this at your own peril. Jack Allen right now in prison. Don't know if he's alive or not. I heard he had a heart attack. I can't get through getting any information except from other inmates who will mercifully give us information. 
I remember when I led Jack Allen to Christ. I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to go in and sit down with him and lead him to Jesus Christ. And this man who had committed this heinous crime came to Jesus Christ. And Ed, he can save any lost sinner who come to God through Christ. He can save anybody who is willing just to say, Yes, Lord. Anybody who will say, uh, I'll come, Jesus. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Procrastination is the enemy. Putting it off. Almost. No, not almost. Altogether. Well, someday. No, not someday. Today. Right now. This moment. Procrastination, it has been said, is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. And we grin at that because we put off a lot of things that we should not have put off. But we need to get serious about the things of God. Are you saved? Will you delay or will you take your risk, your chance on being lost forever? D.L. Moody, as we have given you the illustration, the great preacher of the 19th century, gave that crowd in Chicago a week to think about it. The Chicago fire took place. Many of those people died in that fire. Many others were displaced. And Moody said, I will never delay again. And I have been personally, viciously, vehemently criticized for offering an invitation and drawing the net and plainly giving the plan of salvation every time we meet in this building. And I will do it until they carry me out of here feet first. Amen. R.A. Torrey speaks of that day when he allowed a few moments to pass. He walked out of a restaurant went back to win the man he had just gone and blown out his brains. Torrey said, I'll never do that again. man who used to sit in this auditorium, a great soul winner, who many of us know, has given the clear illustration of having left off and, and neglected to go visit an individual who in the meantime died and went to hell. I want to tell you it's not too late if they haven't breathed their last. I received a phone call in the middle of the night when we lived in the high desert in Southern California. Would you come right now? A man has attempted suicide, put a gun to his head, pulled the trigger. He's in a coma. And I went into ICU, and there he was all bandaged up. And I don't know what the circumstances may have been, but here's exactly what happened. And those of you who know about firearms, maybe you'll understand. He had placed in such a manner against his skull that when he pulled the trigger, that bullet traveled under the skin but up over the top of his scalp and out the top. Instead of penetrating the brain and taking his life, the man was in a coma because of the, of the concussion that had occurred. So I went in and I said, you, you don't know me. Your kids know me. They come to our church. They're in our uh, children's program. But I want to tell you right now that God loves you and Jesus died for you. And I don't know how much you can understand, but I want to tell you all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're not the only one. This preacher also is a sinner, but I'm a saved sinner. And you can be a saved sinner too, sir. I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross and He shed His blood and He went... 
to a tomb, a borrowed tomb, and He rose from the dead, and He's alive forevermore. And He says, Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants to save you right now, sir. He wants you to, he wants you to ask Him into your heart so the best you know how. Pray something like this, even in that comatose state. Pray something like this. And I gave Him the prayer. You say, That was a wasted effort. I went back. When I went back, He was sitting up in His chair. I said, sir, you don't know me. He says, oh, I recognize your voice. I recognize your voice. He says, somewhere in the middle of that coma, I remember hearing your voice. I said, what did I say? And he repeated for me what I said. I'm telling you, one of the last things to go is the hearing. People can hear. Don't be sitting around grandpa's bed and be planning his funeral while he's still breathing. Don't be doing that. All right? Unless grandpa said, I want you to be around me now when I'm, when I'm just about to go and I want you to plan my funeral. Don't do that because he can hear. And this man heard. And in that state, you say, how does that happen? I don't know. I'm not God, but I do acknowledge God. That man, somewhere inside there, he called upon the Lord and asked Him to save him. And I, I quizzed him and he knew that he had received Christ. What's your excuse? Why do you put it off? What's the indecision for? There is no reason for indecision. Submarine went down off our eastern coast. They sent the divers down. They tried to do everything to extricate those men inside that submarine, but they couldn't. They were condemned to die at the bottom of the ocean. They had done their duty, but they, they couldn't escape. And as one of the divers actually made physical contact with that sunken sub, he heard ding, 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 ding. And he listened to the pattern. Over and over, somebody from the inside was saying in Morse code, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Right now, in that great expanse known as hell, there are people who never get out. They thought they'd wait. They waited too late. There are people on the other side that could have been one to Christ, but we waited too late. Is there any hope? Only Jesus Christ can save. He's our only hope. So true. So true. I don't know what you got in your hands. If you're a saved person, and you got something in your hands that keeps you from doing the perfect will of God, you need to let go too. <laughs> Heard about a man, he struggled with this thing. He owned a business. And that business, he was doing his way. He got under conviction. He went out and he said, Lord, it's your business. And the next day, the fire engines <laughs> were wailing. And he went down and he was standing on the sidewalk outside of the building that was on fire. He hadn't lit it on fire. So he said, how can you handle this this way? He says, oh, last night I gave my business to God. If he wants to burn his business down, that's his business. 
you got something in your hands that you won't let go, then God can't have total control in your life. If you're not saved, you got something, religion, in the way, you got to let go and let Jesus Christ save you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you today would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. God bless you. Hands up all across the auditorium. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And as we do, we're going to offer you the opportunity to make life-changing decisions. If you'd like to give it all to God, I want you to do that right now. Just say, Lord, I give it all to you. I give it all up. I hand it over to you. Lock, stock, and barrel. It's all yours. If you're not sure you're saved, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to pray from where you are. Just pray from your heart to God and mean it. Something like this. Dear God, just repeat silently from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. As my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Please take away my sins. And take me to heaven when I die. And take me to heaven when I die. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up so I can see it right now? Hands up. I just prayed that prayer. And I meant it.
Bye.